Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Um, open your Bibles. I almost opened up Matthew because that's where we've been, but we're in Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9, and um, as we continue the uh, study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, like I've been saying, we jump from different gospels because we're looking at it chronologically, and, and today we find ourselves in Luke 9, uh, where, we, where, where Jesus is preparing to fulfill his ultimate mission. If, if Jesus had a Facebook page back 2,000 years ago, he would literally post something like this, Jesus is feeling determined. You know, what would we do without emoticons anyways, emojis? What would, how would we express our, our feelings for people? You know, Jesus would have probably put an emojicon up there like that and uh, telling us how he feels. It's so important that we know how we feel, right? So anyway, that it was a joke, but anyway. Um, the, the, um, the emojicon, Jesus is feeling determined in Luke chapter 9. So why don't you stand with me real quick, and then we're going to read um, verses 51 through 62 this morning. And there is a section that you're probably going to come across. Uh, I don't, it's not in the ESV version. Um, in verse 55, there may, may be additional um, scripture there, which we'll, we'll talk, at, uh, talk about when we get to that place. But um, reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven um, and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And they were going along the road. Someone said to him, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me, go first, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those on my, at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us today to, to, to look at how we are, what are we determined to do in our lives. Lord, what is our face set towards this morning? What are we focused on this, today? Lord, would you help us to see what direction our life is going? And Lord, would you just speak to us and, and help us to become more like Jesus? That's our prayer. Lord, we give you uh, permission even now to enter all the places, all the dark recesses of our heart, that you would reveal those things that we might uh, get rid of whatever we need to, Lord, to become more like Jesus this morning. That's our prayer. We ask your Holy Spirit teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Marty was a boy who grew up around horses. He loved horses and dreamed of one day being in a horse trainer just like his father. Monty was constantly on the move as a child, going from stable to stable and ranch to ranch as his father looked for work. This didn't give him much, much of a chance to have a normal childhood nor a stable education. 
One day, when he was a senior in high school, his teacher asked the class to write about what they wanted to be when they grew up. Well, Monty didn't hesitate for a moment. He picked up his pencil and wrote a seven-page paper about his aim to be an owner of a horse ranch. He wrote many details and drew a location of buildings and stables and even a detailed house plan. Two days later, he received uh, his paper back with the letter F on the front, on the front page. After class, he came to the teacher and asked, why did I receive an F? The teacher responded, this dream is so unrealistic for a boy like you who has no money, no resources, and who comes from such an itinerant family. There's no possibility that you will ever reach your goals. Then the teacher offered that he could rewrite the paper for a more real, with a more realistic attitude. Monty went home and asked his father how he should act. His father answered, this decision is very important for you, so you have to make it up on your own mind. After several days, the boy brought the, the same paper to his teacher with no changes made. He said, keep the F and I'll keep my dream. Well, Monty Roberts did just that. He fulfilled his dream and he has become a very famous horse trainer. He's known as the Horse Whisperer. He also lives on a 200-acre uh, horse ranch with a 4,000-square-foot house. And in his house, just above the fireplace, there is a, there is a beautiful uh, hanging, framed hanging of that paper that has an F upon it. It serves as a reminder to Monty and to all who come into his home of what a little determination is capable of. Determination, according to the most accurate dictionary in the world, which is, of course, Wikipedia, everything you read on there is true. It's not. People can put their own uh, definitions in there, just in case you're not familiar with that. But Wikipedia says, uh, uh, determination is a positive emotion that involves persevering towards a difficult goal in spite of the obstacles. Merriam-Webster defines it as a quality that makes you continue trying to do or to achieve something that is difficult. Determination, then, is a relentless pursuit of something or someone. No matter how difficult it might be or how unsuccessful you might be in achieving what it is that you're trying to achieve, determination continues to try. Now, determination is something that every Christian should be filled with. We should all be filled with determination. Times will get tough for sure. But Christian determination looks life in the face and says, bring it on. Keep it coming. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to continue to press towards the goal. I will overcome. That is Christian determination. We will most certainly overcome. For sure. And let me follow that up with the reason why. We will overcome because He has already overcome. We overcome because of who He is, not because of who we are. It's Him in us that causes us to overcome. We have the God of the universe on our side. The Bible says if God is for us, what does it say? Who can be against us? We were reminded in Philippians chapter 4, 13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we say that all the time. But are we living it out in our lives? Are we determined to allow that scripture to be real in our life? Because it's true. God said it and I believe it. Do you believe it this morning? You can do all things. Now Paul was writing in context in that verse of all different types of things. 
whether I'm in, in plenty or in want, whether I'm distressed or whether I'm doing well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christian determination pushes us towards the prize with a Nike-type attitude that says, I can't stop, I won't stop. I read that on Brian's Facebook all the time after he's done running. It says, Nike, can't stop, won't stop. That's the kind of attitude Christians should have in life. Can't stop, won't stop. Because if God has given me a breath in my lungs and I'm vertical here today, then that means He has a plan. And I want to do my very best to fulfill what it is that He has for me to fulfill. We are to be in relentless pursuit then of everything and anything that He puts in our path no matter the obstacle. The success of your Christian life then depends greatly on how determined you're going to be when those trials come. Perhaps you're in the midst of a trial even now. Maybe it's your marriage. Perhaps it's a sin that's been routing you. Maybe it's something to do with your children. Perhaps it's just, a, just life in general. The only way that you will overcome the obstacles you face is if you are determined to overcome are you fighting for your marriage? Are you warring against the members of your flesh? Are you relentless with teaching your children the same lesson over and over again? Are you willing to make any change necessary in your life that you will become more like Jesus? It's that God-given determination that will answer yes to those questions. Listen, if you're in a trial right now, you can be 100% determined to overcome because our God is able and therefore we are able. Do you understand that this morning? Our God is able and therefore we are able. He is victorious and therefore we are victorious. He is strong and therefore we are strong. As the scripture says, for when I am weak, I am strong because I get his strength. I receive from Him everything that He is and He deploys everything that He is upon me. He doesn't call you to live a life that you can't live. Christian, He will give you everything you need for life and godliness, the Word says. No matter what you face today, God has given you the capacity to overcome. Do you believe it this morning? We are His offspring. We are formed and fashioned into the image of God. And listen, when we become born again, we are infused with power to live a life, that the same life that Jesus lived. You know, he, I believe he limited himself to the same Holy Spirit power that you and I have. We oftentimes read accounts in the Bible of Jesus. And we say, well, of course he's God. How could he not do these things? And yet his disciples did many, many other things. And Jesus even said himself, Greater things will you do than I did. Why? The same Spirit. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is working in your life today through His Spirit if you're born again. He has sealed you with the Spirit. He has flooded you with His Spirit. And you have the power to live that life of being an overcomer. But now you must be willing to walk in it. Now you must be willing to walk in it. The victory is yours already. You don't have to fight for victory. You have victory. You just have to walk in it. It's a choice, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm sure going to the cross and being crucified wasn't easy, but Jesus overcame. So let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also then. 
that same determination that Jesus had, let that be your determination today. You and I must be determined to look over the shoulder of Jesus Christ in every situation that we come against. It's not us facing the trial. It's Jesus and us behind Him who is paving the road for us. Who is climbing over the wall for us. All we got to do is follow Him. That's what He said, right? That's what He even said in our Scripture this morning. Follow me. You're not walking the path alone, friend. He is paving the road for you. He is blazing the trail for you. You just stay right behind Him. Like a fullback going through. The, I'm just kidding. No football analogies. But you follow Jesus. Right up and over whatever obstacles you might have. That is the viewpoint that we must always have, no matter what we face. From our text this morning, I want to share with you what, determine, what determination looks like when it goes right, what it looks like when it goes wrong, and what it looks like when it goes missing. First, I want to look at determination gone right. Look at verse 51 with me, if you would, please. When the, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, notice with me, the determination of Jesus in this passage, it says that he set his face toward, to go to Jerusalem. That phrase, to set, literally means to make a decision with emphasis upon finality. I'm going. I don't care what gets in my way. I'm going. I have determined in my heart that I'm going no matter the obstacle. The New King James uh, speaks, uh, speaks like this. It says, he steadfastly stead his face towards Jerusalem. The idea is that Jesus has determined to go to Jerusalem. He has made the decision to go. Just like you and I, when we woke up this morning and we were determined to go to church, we made the decision. We set our face towards Columbia, Calvary Chapel here, and we got up and we got prepared and we came. We determined to be here this morning. What makes Jesus' determination right here is, of course, he's Jesus, but primarily because of the timing and the purpose in which he's doing this. Notice it says that he set his face to go when, it was the, when the days drew near. That's the timing. It was also for the purpose of what? Being taken up. Jesus knew both the timing and the purpose of his life, and that's what makes what he's doing right here. He isn't on his own plan. You see that? He's on the, the plan of God. He's on, he's on God's time, not his time. He's doing the will of the Father here. He knew that it was time. There was a time frame. And Jesus was waiting upon that time frame before he set his face to Jerusalem. It was not for him to determine the time. He didn't get to choose the time, but he knew when the time had come. Much like uh, Abraham, for instance, he was promised a child. And remember, he thought it, it was time. So what does Abraham do? Well, he takes his maidservant, Hagar, and they have a baby. But guess what? Wrong time, wrong person. God didn't promise a baby through, Abraham, uh, through Hagar. He promised a baby through Sarai, through Sarah, right? Abraham had his timing mixed up. God gave him the promise. God told him what was going to happen, but it was a timing issue. He thought it was time now, and he thought that he figured out the plan. So he did what he thought, and he was wrong. 
And so oftentimes you and I do the same thing when it comes to God's timing. God's promised us something. He's told us it's going to be. And as we wait and we're, we're waiting for Him to fulfill it, all of a sudden we get the unction that it's time. Because we said so. And so we decide what it's going to look like. And we go ahead and take those steps. And guess what happens? Epic failure. I thought you promised me this, God. I did. You just, you just took off on your own. And you decided when, what you were going to do. Don't do that. You wait on the Lord. You seek His face. You allow His Spirit to speak to you because the Spirit will knock on your door when it's time. Trust me. Jesus knew it was time because the Spirit revealed to Him that it was time. Christian determination must be submissive to the will of God. That means submissive to His time and purpose. Jesus was determined rightly here because the days drew near. No longer was He to stick to the outskirts of Galilee. Remember, Jesus' public ministry has gone private. He's not doing these things before all the, the, the multitudes anymore, although crowds gathered while He was working, but He wasn't walking through the middle of towns anymore. He was staying to the outskirts of Galilee, and, and He was staying on, on, the, on, the, on the fringe. But now the Lord said, it's time. It's time for you to go set your face towards Jerusalem and fulfill your mission. What was the purpose that God had said it was time for? It's time for you to be taken up. To what? To be taken up, to ascend. It's time for you to now come and to, to rejoin me in heaven, the Father would say to him. It, it was time for Jesus to literally ascend. That was the purpose in his setting his face towards Jerusalem, to ascend back to the Father. But understand, it would take great determination to accomplish this because there was one huge obstacle in the way and it was called the cross. Jesus knew what He was going up against. He knew when He set His face towards Jerusalem that there was an obstacle there that He was going to have to overcome. It was the cross. It would be by, that would be the means by which His ascension would take place. Jesus must first die in order to ascend. And so by setting His face towards Jerusalem to ascend... He must first be willing to die. That is true determination, folks. When you realize from afar your fate and yet despise the pain and the anguish, the great difficulty that awaits you, you press on towards the goal. That is true determination. Jesus was determined to do the Father's will, even though it would cost Him greatly. It would be worth it. You and I are to be determined like Jesus was, determined, submissive to God's will and, and willing to overcome all obstacles to accomplish His plan. That is determination gone right. Let's look at determination gone wrong. Look at verse 52 there. And He sent messengers ahead of Him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for Him. But the people did not receive Him because His face was set towards Jerusalem. But when His disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do, uh, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to, a, to another village. Jesus is now setting out from Jerusalem to the Gal from, or for Jerusalem to the Galilee, from the Galilee, and is traveling with quite a bunch apparently because it tells us that he had to send messengers ahead. It was customary during this time if you were traveling to send messengers ahead to prepare for your arrival. 
hey, they didn't have Hotels.com. You couldn't go online and, and book your travel. You couldn't get your hotels ahead of time. You would send messengers ahead to prepare a place for you to stay. We see this often in the scripture where Jesus would send his disciples ahead to prepare for them. He's, they're going to some town in Samaria to prepare a place for them. It tells us that there probably was more than just the twelve. There was probably more. We know according to Matthew's gospel that there was at least other women with them. Maybe it was the 70. Maybe it was quite a group that was traveling with Jesus during this time down there. But nevertheless, he sent messengers ahead to a certain village of the Samaritans. Now, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, first century historian, he tells us a little bit about, it gives us some insight on this trip that they would take from Galilee down to Jerusalem. He said, it was the custom of the Galileans when they came to the holy city at the festivals to take their journeys through the country of the Samaritans. And at this time there lay in the road they took a village that was called Guinea, which was situated in the limits of Samaria and the Great Plain. And listen to this, where certain people, persons, thereto belonging, fought with the Galileans and killed a great many of them. So you have this little city along this path, and yet there are people, there are, there are probably villain, villains and, and robbers and all these people waiting along the road. It reminds us of the story of the Great Samaritan, or, you know, the, the Good Samaritan that came along that path. Same idea. Maybe he was even this path that he was talking about. The point is that this is not a pleasure journey. This is not something that they would take their time doing. This, isn't some, this, this path that they would take it was a dangerous road, particularly because of the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. They didn't like each other. They hated each other. And, and, and the Jews actually would do all that they if, they, if there was any possible way for them to go around, if they had the time, they would bypass Samaria altogether. And they would cross the Jordan. They'd go all the way around because they didn't want to walk through. They didn't want to have Samaritan dust on their feet. That's the kind of mindset they had towards the Samaritans. Uh, let me remind you a little about who the Samaritans are. They're a mixed race. They're part Jew, they're part Gentile. When the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament and they overtook uh, that, that area and they took, took away captive those people, they left the poor people there. Then the Assyrians um, took the land and they intermarried with these people and they became Samaritans. So they're half-breeds. The, the, the purebred Jews hated these people. And the Samaritans hated them. There was great animosity towards them. And so you might ask yourself, most times uh, as they would travel, they wouldn't stay in a city even. They would stay on the outskirts somewhere, just kind of traveling through. They didn't want to stay. It was about a two-day journey from the Galilean region down to Jerusalem. So you ask yourself, why then would Jesus send messengers to the village to, to prepare for him to come. Why would he do that if there was if these cultural boundaries existed? Well, particularly, I, th I think it has to do with number one, because again, the journey's not, it's a couple day journey, so there's a practical reason. But I also think that Jesus is trying to reveal his that he is not bound by cultural boundaries. That he's not worried about what the culture says. He's not worried about these cultural issues that are happening. He's sticking to God's plan. He loves every person. There are no prejudices with Jesus. I believe he's overcoming those, those walls that have existed. And he's saying, listen, he's teaching his disciples, remember, because his days are numbered. 
Don't you look, don't you despise these people? I love these people. But the love isn't reciprocal, is it? They don't love Jesus. They reject Jesus. We don't want your Jesus here. Don't bring Jesus into our town. We don't want him here. You guys are Jews. Your face is set towards Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Don't stay here because uh, you, you remember the animosity between their mountain that they worshipped on. John chapter 4, this woman at the well that Jesus has this conversation with. And she says, you Jews say you worship on this mountain. We say we worship on this mountain. There is a place of worship. They, they're saying they serve the same God. They are both waiting for the Messiah to come. Which mountain will he come from? So you, there's this animosity there. And yet Jesus says, listen, put all that stuff aside. I love these people. I love these people. Well, his disciples, as they saw the rejection of Jesus Christ, became indignant. James and John, this is where they get their nicknames, the Sons of Thunder, by the way. James and John, they see the rejection of the Samaritans to their Lord. And they become furious. Lord, just say the word and we'll call down fire from heaven. And, and the verse continues to go on that says, just like Elijah did. Remember when Elijah called down fire from heaven? Consuming those, um, uh, those sacrifices. First he dumped he did Mount Carmel where he was battling the prophets of Baal. And there was that point there where he called down fire from heaven. Let us call down fire from heaven upon this village, they said. And Jesus rebukes them and, and the verse continues on. Again, the reason why it's not in the ESV, just so you know, is because it's not in all the early manuscripts and the ESV uses, there's, again, there's two different sets of scripture that translations come from. And the ESV uses the, the, most, the oldest, most critical text is what it uses to translate. The majority text is, is where you find the King James, the, the New King James, and so forth. Uh, the, the critical text is where you find the, the New American Standard, the ESV, they're, they're all from that vein. So if you have a New American Standard, it wouldn't have that verse in there. Um, or it may, but it might be footnoted that this wasn't in the early manuscripts, just so you know why it's not in here. But regardless, Jesus says to them there in that, he says, I haven't come to destroy. I've come to save. What are you guys thinking? He rebukes his disciples. He says, you guys want to condemn these folks for, for, for rejecting me. And let me just say that this goes down in the the history of that city is the, the, is the worst decision they ever made in their lives. I mean, the existence of this little city, whichever one it is, they can put it in the history books that this was the dumbest decision that they ever made to reject the Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, to come and live, to have a night with them as he's traveling on to Jerusalem. But nevertheless, his disciples are indignant. They want to call down fire. And, he, and, and Jesus rebukes them. He says, man... You guys don't even know what spirit you're of. Are you guys never going to learn? You ever feel like that when you're walking with Jesus? You ever feel like that where you're just like, man, Lord, I don't get it. I think I know how to respond to something and something else comes out. 
I don't get it. And the Lord rebukes you and you come back and you're just like the, the sad puppy dog face. You know, Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe I responded that way when he rebukes you like that. Listen, vengeance belongs to who? To the Lord. The disciples are stepping out of bounds here. It's not their job to redeem the name of the Lord. It's not their job to make, to protect Jesus in the world. It's not their job to, to, to bring, uh, to, to trade uh, tooth for tooth. You know, it's not punch for punch. That's not their call. They're called to deliver love into the world. That's their call. They're called to deliver truth into the world. But they're never ever called to bring condemnation into the world. That's not the Christian uh, calling, friend. And many, many Christians feel like that is their calling, and it's not. This is determination gone wrong. I'm going to make you see Jesus the way I see Him. And they start to hurl hatred towards people. Even to the point where we would say the phrase today, let's just nuke them. Oh, let's just nuke the whole place and just get rid of them. That's what they're saying. Do we not say that today? Let's just nuke them. We do. I'm not going to get in a discussion on, on strategy for, you know, our, you know, as far as that goes, is protecting our borders and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when somebody uh, rejects you when you're bringing the gospel to them and you're like, let's just nuke them. Let's just call down fire from heaven upon them. You ever feel that indignation towards somebody as it relates to Jesus? Let me tell you something. That's not Jesus. That's not how Jesus acts. That's your own determination gone wrong. That is, that is you determining to make Jesus' name famous no matter what. And Jesus says, trust me, my name is famous already. And, and by the way, let me just explain to you that, that every knee will bow before me. And every tongue will confess that I am Lord one day. That's not your job, Christian. Be careful about your attitude towards those who reject Jesus. Be careful that you don't misrepresent the Lord when somebody rejects Jesus. What happens, friend, is, and I've been there, is that we take it personally. As Christians, we begin to absorb the rejection. What did Jesus say? They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They've rejected me. So let him deal with it. You know, when somebody, when you share the gospel with somebody or when you uh, try to, when you bring up Jesus and you're ridiculed for it, our response should be sorrow for them, not anger and hatred and rage. The world, when they want to take down our, the commandments off the signs, off the buildings, and when they want to do all this kind of stuff, our response should be sorrow for them. Not that we don't stand up for that, our rights, but I'm telling you, the Christian attitude today is way off. It's completely off. Jesus, he would stand there and he would watch them bring the things down, I promise you. And he would tell people about him. That's what he would do. He would respond in a way by taking his sword out and converting people to Christianity. That's the response that we should have in this day. 
that we should go out and convert any person. You know, the best way to fight deception is by revealing truth. And so we go into the world and reveal truth. You will never win this war legislatively. You know that, right? Jesus never called us to win this war legislatively. He, his disciples thought he would step in politically and he didn't. Why are we? Why don't we just go do what he set out to do? Why don't we just go into the world and, share, and make disciples and be effective? Now, I'm not saying that God hasn't called some, and, and I say this all the time. God has called some to that calling, that they are standing up. There are ministries that that is their calling and that's what they're doing and support those guys. But what are you doing? Are you fulfilling your ministry? Or has your determination gotten off balance? Are you determined to make Jesus famous at all costs, even at the point of misrepresenting him? Be careful. Be careful about how you uh, represent him. Jesus is not clear or not cool with this response to his disciples here. He rebukes them. He says, man, you guys, <laughs> you guys still don't have the heart that I need you to have. I need you guys to love people even when they're unlovable. That's what he's calling you to. And boy, let me tell you what, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to love people when they don't love you back. And yet God sent his son in that fashion when we weren't loving him back, while we were yet still sinners. Determination gone wrong looks a lot like retaliation. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, let's take a look at determination gone missing. Verses 57 through, through 62. You're no doubt familiar with these passages here. Jesus says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. As we enter into this text, we find three examples of determination gone missing. Many are determined here to follow Jesus until they realize the cost. Jesus meets these three people on the road to Jerusalem here and they're... And, and they're all determined to follow, but none are willing to do what is required to follow. The first fellow that Jesus meets here comes up to him and he, he confesses, Jesus, I would like to follow you. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, it tells us that this man was a scribe. Traditionally, somebody who was rejecting Jesus. And yet it would be a scribe that would come to Jesus and say, Hi, I want to follow you, Jesus. That goes to show us that you never know. Who's going to follow him? You never know whose heart is prepared. You never know. So you do what? You share the gospel. You share with them no matter what. But this person, this scribe comes up to Jesus and he tells him, hey, I want to follow you. But Jesus immediately reminds this man of the rejection that he will face if he decides to follow. Probably referring to the rejection that he just was 
experiencing himself in that city from that city of Samaria there. Jesus tells this man, because I am who I am, I don't even have a place to stay. You want to follow me? You prepared to give up your luxury. You prepared to give up your livelihood. You prepared to give up whatever it is uh, to follow me because that's the cost. To give it all up. Oh, he'll, he'll, he'll direct your steps and tell you what to do exactly. But when you come to Christ, you, say, you said, I resign. Here you go, Lord. I've signed on the dotted line. I belong to you. Do with me what you will. That's the requirement. He asked this man, are you prepared to, 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 to go into the world and maybe not even have a place to stay, even have the basic necessities of life? Are you prepared for that? I don't even have a place to rest my head. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bilzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is telling us that we can expect the same treatment he received. Why does it catch us off guard when we do? Why does it catch us off guard when the world responds to us in a rejecting way? Didn't Jesus just say a servant is like his master? It's going to happen. You're going you're to be treated. You're going to be mistreated. People call Jesus the devil. <laughs> Bilzable. You're the Lord of the flies. Jesus says you can expect the same. Those who are truly following the Lord are considered radical, who truly believe in the Bible, what it says, and, and take it at, at its word. Considered radical by the world. Crazy. Some would even probably say you're of the devil. Jesus said we can expect it, and yet so oftentimes it takes us off guard when that happens. Listen. You can expect to be mistreated by the world. You can expect to suffer to follow Jesus. You can expect that. And listen, if you're an outer liar and you happen to have not experienced any of that yet, praise the Lord. If you're really in Christ, then praise God. You know, we happen to live in a country, a section of the world where, well, for the most part, it's been pretty benign when it comes to the response to Christians. And yet, it's the tolerance for us is becoming less and less, isn't it? And so we can expect to probably see this. But there, there are people for thousands of years that have stood, for a couple thousand years since Jesus died, that have stood their ground and gave up their lives for Him. And we just happen to live in a country today that, that isn't there yet. But it still costs you the same. It still costs you the very same as what it cost him. Jesus said, be prepared to give up your life. Be prepared to suffer for my name's sake. That is the cost of following me. And yet, you know what? Whatever kind of suffering, even if it means death, doesn't compare to what we get. You know that, right? Not even close. It's incomparable to what we receive as being a true follower of the Lord. Paul said this. 
here's a guy that suffered, man. Five times he is beaten. You know, he, 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 go, he goes through this whole rendition of all the sufferings that he's experienced in life. And yet he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know what he was saying? The cost to follow Jesus in comparison to what I get is not even close to an even trade. I come out way ahead. So far ahead. Doesn't feel like it in the moment. But that's what the Word says, and it's true. Listen, to trade a temporary life of suffering for an eternal life of luxury and peace and comfort in the presence of our Creator. Whereby even the streets are paved with our precious metal gold. This place is going to be beyond anything you can imagine. God says the sufferings you suffer now, you'll never ever suffer them again. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will just be joy. There will just be peace. There will just be happiness in Him. Because He's there. That's what makes heaven heaven, you know. His presence makes heaven heaven. You being in His presence. I don't know what to expect beyond that, but I think that's going to be plenty when we come into His presence and we gaze upon Him and we think like, whoa, Lord. It is good that we are here. No, I'm just kidding. That's what Peter said on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> it is good that we are here, Lord. It is going to be awesome, man. That's what Paul was getting at when he was talking in Romans chapter 8, 18. Man, what a, the things that await you, the glory that will be revealed is not even comparable to the sufferings that you may face today. And you know, there's a reason why Paul wrote in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, or I think it's there, but where he said, you know, he's talking about reminding us of that time when we're going to be with the Lord. He's talking about, um, I think it's First Thessalonians chapter 4, but anyway. Um, he's reminding us of, of, of all that awaits us. You know, that those who fall asleep, man, that they're going to be with the Lord. And then he says, you know what? Encourage each other, or comfort each other with these words. Why? Because it's going to be glorious, man. When we think about heaven, we talk about heaven. We talk about being in God's presence. It's going to be incredible, far beyond anything that you could ever experience in a, by way of suffering in this life. Jesus said, don't expect luxury and ease when you follow me. It's a difficult path. And it's, it, it's, it's atrocious for somebody to stand up in a pulpit and say anything different. Oh yeah, God will take all your pain away and all your troubles away, and you'll never struggle again. That is not true. We'll live a life of struggle. We have victory, and we can walk in victory, but trust me, it's going to be hard. The path that Jesus paved 
is an easy path for us to get to heaven for sure, but it seems strenuous on the way up, doesn't it? It's not our work, it's His work. He's done it, but yet as we walk in this life, it is difficult, and He promised us that. So it's crazy to, to say that it wouldn't be any different. We can expect these things, man. But, I, but at the very same token, we can also expect to have the power and the comfort and the peace to walk through them, amen? Because He's given that to us. He's telling this guy, have you counted the cost? Follow me. I don't even have a place to stay, man. You sure you want to follow? All of a sudden, this man's determination goes missing. Oh, oh I, got, I forgot I got to do something. Um, I'll see you later. Jesus meets the next guy on a road, and he actually reaches out to this guy. He sees a guy on the side of the road, and he says, Hey, you, why don't you follow me? How incredible would that be? To have Jesus verbally call your name out. Or maybe he just says you, I don't know. Hey, John, follow me. Me? You talking to me? Jesus? To verbally say, follow me? Whoa, he, you know he's, he's calling you. He does call you by name to follow him. But this man heard his voice. This man heard his verbal voice. And he said, Jesus asked him, hey, why don't you come follow me? And the guy says, filled with determination in the moment, oh, yeah, for sure, man. Totally follow you, Jesus. But let me go, let me go bury my, my father first. Now, there's, it's up in the air whether the guy's dad was already dead or whether he was not dead yet. We don't know. We don't know if he was saying, hey, I'll, I'll follow you once I get my inheritance from my father. Or I'll follow you once I'm done mourning my father. Well, you know, the process to bury somebody back in this day was a long process. They would bury them, but then they would move their bones in a year and all this kind of stuff. And so it was like one of these things that the guy was saying, I'll get to it, Jesus. I'll get to it. You ever said that? Man, I said that an awful lot growing up. I'll serve God one day, sometime when I'm done having fun, like serving God's not fun. I'm having the best time of my life, man, serving the Lord. And yet it was to, be, to put him off. To tell him, oh, I'll, I'll do it later, Jesus. That's, that's the point here. I'll do it later, Jesus. And, and Jesus says, let me challenge you on that for a second. Let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> that seems kind of insensitive, Jesus. Let the dead bury their dead? Listen, he's saying... Maybe he's saying, let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. Let them bury them. It's dead. They're dead. Let them bury themselves. You know, back in this time period, uh, even uh, if you were in school, if you were, if you were a kid studying you know, Jewish religion or whatever and your parents died or whatever, you couldn't leave. You would have to just continue to study because that was more important. That was the most important thing. That's what Jesus is saying. It's more important for you to follow me than it is for you to mourn the death of somebody you love even. Because if you don't follow me, you'll never have a hope to see them again. If they were a believer, you've got to follow. You can't put it off. Jesus challenges us, this guy, which it seems kind of insensitive, but the, 
principle is really clear. Nothing on earth can be more important than following Jesus. There is no greater call than the call to follow Jesus. What relationship are you putting before the Jesus today? What relationship? Husband-wife relationship? You know, is it your boyfriend-girlfriend relationship? Is it your parent-child relationship? What relationship would stop you from following Jesus today? Oh, man, I can't follow Jesus today because i got to go do this and that with, with, you know, my son or my daughter or my wife or my, my friend or whatever. What relationship would stop you from following Jesus? That's what he's asking. Is there a relationship in your life today that's hindering your growth in the Lord? Listen, all relationships fall secondary to relationship with him. All relationships. I don't care what relationship it is. If you're holding somebody above Jesus, the Bible says that's an idol. And you know what? You've got to remove it. It doesn't mean you, you leave your wife or your husband or you, you, know, you do send your kids off to adoption or something. I mean, you get what I'm saying. You put it in proper perspective. There can be no other relationship more important to you than Jesus. And let me tell you, I've seen relationship after relationship wreck Christian walks, wreck them. I hate it when I see somebody single get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I hate that because I know the potential. I know the potential. Man, I'm going to be like the the worst person for my kids, for them to have their spouses to come and have to be interviewed by me because I'm in tune. First question is, How's your relationship with Jesus? How's your relationship with Jesus? You want to know why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked? Because that relationship will be elevated above Him and it will trash your walk with the Lord. Don't let any relationship become more important in your relationship than Jesus. And Jesus is telling you that is the cost to follow me. Finally, he has one more person that approaches him, and he says, I'll follow you, Jesus. This guy again approaches Jesus. So two guys approach Jesus. One guy, Jesus approaches. I think this is salvation. I think the Lord's drawing all people. Some come and receive, and some, you know, will call, answer the call. Some don't. But he says here, this one, one final person approaches Jesus. He says, I'll follow you, Jesus. Again, determination present. But let me say goodbye to my family. And, 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 and to say this was to say like, well, the way they would do that in, 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 in the Jewish culture was they would go from <laughs> relative to relative and they would have a party. This could last months. I mean, this could last a quite a long time for you to go say goodbye to every one of your relatives before you go follow Jesus. Again, the principle is pretty simple. No other relationship above mine. Nothing can be more important than me. Jesus says, he, he, he responds to that one. And he says, let me tell you something, man. Anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying you're not worthy of the kingdom if you're longing to be in the world. He's brought you out of that stuff. And yet so oftentimes we want to do this. Oh, It's the example of Lot's wife. 
when he brought her out of, he delivered her out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet she looked back with a longing to be back there. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. Don't do that. When you follow Jesus, you burn down the barn. You destroy whatever was there. Not literally. Come on. <laughs> you, all of a sudden, houses in Colombia are on fire and stuff. That's not, that's not what he's saying. Listen. It, Elijah, when, when Elisha was called to ministry, he was called in a plowing field. He was plowing a field. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 19. But Elisha was, was called to be the, the, a prophet right in the middle of his plowing his field, and, and he never looked back. He never looked back from that. In fact, you know what he did? He slaughtered his oxen. So he couldn't go back. Have you slaughtered your oxen? Or do you still have options? That's what Jesus is saying. You want to follow me? Then don't turn back. Slaughter the oxen and keep your eyes forward. Jesus explains that the service in the kingdom of God is of such importance, so greater than anything else, that his followers must take it as top priority. Is your walk with the Lord top priority? Is being about His mission top priority in your life today? I hope it is. I think it is. You're here, at least. Walk with Him now. Be determined to be about His will, about His timing, about His purpose, not yours. And maybe there's some searching that you need to do today. Maybe you need to ask the Lord, Father, not sure what, what you're calling me to specifically. I know the general call that we all have is, is you know, to, to go and make you known. But what do you want me to do specifically? Because you know he has a specific call for you. And if you don't know what that is and you've been walking with the Lord for some length of time, then, then maybe it's time to ask him. Maybe you're not hearing what it, what it is that he wants you to do. And he might say, you know what? I want you to go into... You know, I want you to go into some whatever Hibbit Sports and you're going to be a, a retail guy there and I want you to, to share the love of the Lord from your job. That's your calling. Until you go home, you go and do that. He'll tell you what he wants you to do. You don't have to try and figure that out. He'll tell you exactly what he wants you to do. You know, when he called me to be a pastor... It was God's timing. I knew my purpose. And again, I sought his face specifically. Someone challenged me just like I'm challenging you. What is my purpose, God? And I just began to fast and pray about that. And the Lord revealed to me, I want you to do this. And you know what I did? I tried to, <laughs> I, I thought, okay, well, he's called me, so now I know what I'm supposed to do. So I, did, I wasn't waiting on him. I was going to make it happen. So I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to go, Buy, you know, I'm going to Bible college and all this kind of stuff. And my wife's just like, you know what, what? You know, she's cool with it all, of course, but whatever the Lord wants to do. But, but at the same token, she didn't have a piece about it. But I was going to make it happen. I wasn't waiting on the Lord. And do you know that I got so confused while I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do? I knew, that he, I knew the purpose in which he had for me. He told me that. But it was the timing that I was messed up on. And so you know what I said? 
Lord, I finally got, I, I kind of got mad at the Lord, actually. I'll be honest with you. I kind of got mad at the Lord because I'm thinking, I'm just trying to do what you want me to do. And he's like, no, you're trying to do what you want to do. I called you to be a pastor, and I'll make that happen. You don't need to worry about that. Don't you think I'm big enough if I can call you to do that, that I can actually tell you when it's time to do it? And so I ended up just kind of saying, Lord, I'm just, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to not do anything. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And do you know, he, I, I, all, I literally heard this from heaven, you know, literally. The Lord was like, finally, you got it, man. We were sweating bullets up here, man. We didn't have no idea what you were going to do. We didn't know which way you were going to go. No, I'm just kidding. But he, literally, when I did that, when I just said, Lord, I'm going to wait on you, then he started to make the plans. Then he started to show me. But I had to go through that. I had to understand that, that there's a calling, but then there's a timing that's involved in that, and we need to wait on his time. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe when God calls you, he, there's going to be timing involved in it. So you just wait on him, and you let him um, reveal that timing to you. He'll, he'll tell you. Trust me, if it's his plan, he's going to make it known to you when it's time. So maybe that's where you're, you're at today, and you need to seek out the Lord on what it is that he wants you to do. Maybe you're here today, and you're, and you're much like the James and John. And, you know, you, you've, been, you've been changed. You've been, you're his disciple. You've been born again. You're, you're in a relationship with Jesus, but, man, you're not representing him well. You're not representing him right. You're angry with people because they're not seeing what you see. Or, or you know, you're, you're, you, you, you walk around with, with indignation on your face rather than love. Well, that would be to misrepresent Jesus. I promise you when we get to heaven, you've you got to wonder what his face looked like when he was whipping people in the temple. You know, was it just at peace? You know, glory? No, I don't know. He's human. But, I mean, really, at the end of the day, there is righteous anger. And, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just done with people. You ever been there? I'm just done with people because people are stupid. You ever hear people say that? And I'm like, I'm a person. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm stupid. Be careful about that. Maybe the Lord needs to change your heart today about how you're representing him in the world. So maybe that's what you need to pray for today. Maybe your determination has gone missing altogether. You're just on the bench you're just saying, man, I don't know, Lord. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't really care. I'm just here. I showed up today just because I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I, don't, I, I really don't know what to do, so I have no ambition at all to follow you. Listen, today he wants to give you some determination. He wants to tell you, hey, listen, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you, and, and you know what? You've got to turn your heart to me today, though. You can't sit in your, in your pew and like this. We're not in pews, but, you know, you can't sit in your chair with your arms folded and say to me, you know, Lord, I'm waiting on you. No, you're not. You're not even open to what he wants to do. Maybe you need to open yourself up this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And just for this message, Lord, of helping us to see what determination should look like I pray here, Lord, you know each heart here. You know what's going on in every person's life in this place. You know where everyone sits, Lord. You know 
the struggle, you know the triumph, you know or everything about us. And Lord, one thing in particular, you know the, the condition of our heart this morning. I pray that you would help each one of us this morning to consider what you've said today and where, what that means for us. How can I apply what this means to me. Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew exactly the time in which he was supposed to do it. And he knew exactly for what purpose he was doing it. Lord, let that be for us today. May our, our eyes be fixed upon you. Desiring to accomplish all that you would have for us in this life. To be, the, to be on your plan and not to be on our plan, Lord. Lord, for those who are in this place today that are at that stage where they're walking with you in such confidence and such determination, they know exactly what they're supposed to do and they're on track and they're on time and they know the purpose. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you that you're doing that in their lives. Lord, continue. We know how easy we get distracted, Lord. We know how easy we can sway, be swayed away from that. Lord, strength. Strengthen in that determination, Lord. No matter what obstacle comes, that they continue to press forward. For those in this place this morning, Lord, that, are, that, that have that determination, Lord, that has gone wrong, where they're even, they want to see rage and anger and wrath come down from heaven upon this world, Lord, there needs to be a heart change. God, that we would see the world the way you see it. Yes, you get angry and there is your wrath to contend with at some point, but yet you are awfully patient, Lord. And you've been awfully patient with me. And yet I want to see others get it right away or get what they deserve. Lord, change our heart. Help us not to be like that, Lord. Help us to remember who we once were. How gracious you were to us. You waited 24 years, Lord, for me to call upon your name. It might take that person 50, 70, 90 years before they would call upon you. We have that hope, Lord. Let us not lose hope. Change our heart today, Lord. For some of us here today that our determination has gone missing, that you would, Father, fill, it, fill us again with that plan and purpose that you have for us, Lord. Maybe that even means relationship with you this morning. I don't know. Can't pretend, pretend to know the spiritual condition of every person, Lord. And so it's a simple offering. Those who don't know you, to just come to you today, just to call upon your name to be saved, that they would count the cost to follow and to lay down whatever might hinder them from following. Lord, would you just give them the faith to do that today? And, and maybe for just the Christian that's wandered away, that their determination's gone missing, that you would fill them once again with your spirit. You would help them 
to just turn away from whatever it is that they've been dabbling in and turn to you today. So we just lift all this up to you, Father. And we ask that you would work in our hearts as we close in this song, Lord, that you would just draw us close. Lord, let us sit on your lap and experience what you want us to experience. If it's salvation, then Lord, give us the faith to cry out to you today, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner and I need you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And I'm receiving you in today to make you my Lord and Savior. Maybe it's that kind of faith today, Lord. Whatever it is, would you just do that in our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.